0: Welcome to Season 2 of Join the Dots. We've spent our careers giving advice on the environment and learned that choices are never straightforward, but that working through the complexity is rewarding. Here, in each episode, we meet someone new who deals with such complexity in a different way. You can find more information about this and other episodes on our website, jointhedotspodcast.com. And we'd love to hear from you on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Our guest today is Tamar Schleckat, the Executive Director of CTAC, or the Society of Environmental Toxicology and Chemistry, North America. Hi, Tamar. Hi, Savina. How are you?
1: Thanks for I joining us today. It's really nice talking to you. I'm looking forward to it. We always have
0: some interesting chats. Yeah, it's nice to see you again today. So... Let's start, Tamar, because this is a very cross or transdisciplinary podcast, by explaining what is your field? What do you call yourself nowadays as far as expertise? I call myself an environmental professional.
1: I tend not to call myself an environmental scientist because I'm not definitely not doing science, like I'm not working in the lab, but I'm managing some scientific processes.
0: Okay, and what was your field before you have a degree in science?
1: So I'll give you a little bit synopsis of my career path. I always knew in high school even that I wanted to study environmental sciences. I got my bachelor's in chemistry and followed that up with a master's in environmental toxicology. Really the degree program was, was a master's of science in public health and environmental quality. And I didn't know anything about the field of toxicology when I went for my master's. Really, it was just that my advisor happened to have a grant where he had funding for a student. So I did do research in toxicology uh, that way. My interest was mainly to be in the environmental sciences field. Anyway, after I left, I found my way into the consulting world and quickly realized that my passion for Math and modeling and data would fit very well with being an environmental risk assessor, so I did that for about 17 years. And five years ago, you know, I got to that mid-career turn where I wanted to try something different. And so I decided to go into the nonprofit sector and come work for CTEC when I saw this fantastic opportunity present itself. I started off as a scientific affairs manager at CTAC, and about six months ago, I took over as the executive director of CTEC North America.
0: That's quite a pathway. For our audience, can you explain what toxicology is?
1: Great. So toxicology looks at the effect of stressors, whether they are chemicals, physical or biological stressors on other organisms, whether they're human or wildlife, birds, mammals, etc. So that's okay. toxicology in general, and it fits very well with environmental risk assessment where you look at the impact of stressors on humans or
0: ecosystems. Okay, thanks very much. You said you knew you wanted to do this sort of work early on. So what drew you to it?
1: Sort of. You know, it's interesting. I grew up in a developing country, so... In the 80s, the environment wasn't a hot topic, but I do remember in high school having a research paper. Back then, the big story was the big hole in the ozone, right? So that seemed interesting to me. I loved sciences, but I didn't want to go in the traditional fields of being a doctor or pharmacist, et cetera. So environmental sciences sounded like the way to go.
0: Okay, interesting. It's interesting that you mentioned the ozone hole, Because I think that's an interesting example of global and seemingly unsolvable problem that's proved somewhat tractable, although there continue to be challenges. Um, We've been just thinking lately about the issue that, I mean, we all look at the problems of contaminants and other stressors in the environment and... Some of those stories inspired me as well. But I think often we don't talk about our successes and the problems we have solved. You know, being involved in SeaTac where we're often writing and diving down in the details of the problems of the Mm -hmm. day and the things we don't know. What are your thoughts on that and your role within a scientific organization and how we address that?
1: Oh, I don't know if I'm the right person to talk about that, Sabina, because I'm maybe a little bit of a glass half empty kind of person. Like you, I always (laughs) see the problems and the issues. And uh, so our successes. Wow. That's a, that's a big one. I will say that when I was a consultant, a lot of the people maybe who were in academia didn't quite understand the role of a consultant or even appreciate the environmental professionals who work for industry because they looked at them differently they're definitely not doing research but they're applying the research to solve problems which is very important so i always explained our role as consultants as you know being the mediators because you've got the regulators and they put regulations and they want to enforce them and pretty much most industry wants to follow the regulations and wants to do the right thing by the environment and by people, etc. So you need those middle people who can translate the science and help the industries and the businesses meet their obligations based on the regulations provided. So if there is a success story, I would say that because, you know, as a consultant, it was exciting when we were able to come up with cleanup levels, say, for a contaminated site or a spill and then show that the impact on the bird population or some sort of you know the fifth population after years recovered that that was you know that that felt successful when we
0: were able to bring everybody together and happy <laughs> so that's an interesting perspective and then you brought that sort of thinking and broad understanding of applied science to being uh, science affairs mm mm-hmm. Officer Science Affairs to CTAC.
1: Yeah, so what attracted me to that position description and what I still hope that I'm still accomplishing at CTAC, the value in that is seeing... Um, the different fields, interacting with the subject matter experts and recognizing where there are potential synergies and putting those people together. And that's what I enjoy doing. And that was the role of the science individual at SeaTac, whether they're the executive director or the science manager, is to drive advancing environmental sciences and to promote science-based decision-making.
0: That's really important. So now in your Relatively new position, what do you do day to day? Well,
1: the executive director has a lot of administrative responsibilities. There's 10 staff people that I'm in charge of, keeping them happy, making sure they have payroll, uh, making sure the finances are doing well, that our technology is up to date, our equipment, our contracts are good and sound before we sign them. So that is a big part of what I have been doing day to day, though because the position is full-time, I still have time to do the sort of drive science part, which is what I enjoy and have insisted that I'm keeping, not giving
0: away. (laughs) (laughs) So what science do you most like to drive?
1: Right. So at SeaTac, we like to think of ourselves as the global home for environmental professionals, right? And that is such a broad definition I'd like us to drive more interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary collaboration because I really think that the solutions to these, I know some of your friends, Sabina, like to call them wicked problems.
0: The <laughs> solutions to
1: these problems lies in systems approaches and and, and big things in a that yeah. way.
0: Well, I really, I'm excited to hear that because I feel too that when we're just in our silos, it's really hard to solve these problems But you work in and help run a a scientific society that's sort of got a split personality, doesn't it? There's a lot of in-the-silo research that's really important and moving things forward. And then there are a number of professionals that focus on those larger problems. Building the bridges between those and continuing to push that conversation. Must be quite a challenge.
1: Right. Um. Yes. And I think you need visionary leadership, visionary governance on SeaTac World Council and the various geographic unit councils and boards to see the big picture and to drive that change at SeaTac to, to broaden the science that we give at SeaTac. We've had some push towards that when we created a strategic plan in 2018. We haven't been very able to execute a lot because, you know, the pandemic, that thing, if you've heard about it, kind of Through us and we were in survival mode for two years trying to maintain the programs we normally do, let alone reaching out. But I will say I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, you know, because we've done that. We, we came out of the pandemic, the worst of the pandemic, I will say. We don't know when it's going to end. So we came out at SeaTech doing well. And now we have more energy and time to focus on expanding the scientific basis at CTEC. I will say what I have found very interesting working for CTEC is that often you have groups of individuals who, you know, like you said, they're siloed and it would be great to interact in a more broad fashion. However, they might break out and create their own society and they interact amongst each other. And then then we reach out to them and say, hey, let's collaborate And if you don't have the vision of what that collaboration can look like and what it would mean for society in general, our environment, our world we live in, on both sides, It's hard because sometimes some of the groups that we've reached out to, to collaborate, they are managed by people who manage the administrative aspects of the society, not as vested in the vision and mission of the society. So they're looking at the bottom line. So if we say let's have a workshop together, the first questions are like, well, how is the income going to work? How are the profits going to work? So that's that's what I'm finding a challenge is that CTAC is sometimes – bearing the brunt of, we'll say, we'll take care of it. We'll pay for all the resources. We just need you to contribute your science and just maybe put us in touch with your subject matter experts. But of course, that that takes a toll on our society. So it would be really nice if our collaborators have the same altruistic goals like we do.
0: So you're juggling a lot of different balls. I mean, your, your objective is fairly altruistic, as you say, furthering science and solving problems, but societies have to keep funded, meetings have to be run. That's quite an interesting set of almost competing goals to balance.
1: Yeah, I mean, you said the word competing, and we use that a lot because, true, scientific societies who are running separately and not collaborating well, they're competing with each other because, The researchers have only a certain amount of funds to go to meetings and to join societies.
0: And a set amount of time. I'm curious about your thoughts. A lot of academic scientists aren't as rewarded as I think they should be for collaborative and cross-disciplinary work. There is pressure to do those flashy, high-impact factor, very narrow publications and on the other hand, I find it's very hard to engage some of the government workers because, of course, you're, you're running a tripartite organization that draws together science, business, and governments to try to solve problems. And those people have very different drivers. That must be interesting to navigate.
1: Right. That's an important point. But And I will say that, like you said, that towards the end of your question – All of these various people from the different sectors have their own drivers. So it's not one sector has more pressure than the other. If you're a regulatory scientist or in government, it's very hard to get through all the approval hoops you need to to publish something. Sometimes you have to make sure to distance yourself from the organization you belong to, et cetera. So they have their own pressures Having been a consultant for years, I will say there's a, a big pressure on putting your time towards the billable hour rather than publishing the work that you do. Same with businesses. They might have a lot of pressure to solve the problems that the business is dealing with. Say they've had a spill or a contaminated site, and they might have uh, time to publish some research that they need for registration but they don't have time to, to publish at all, so they have to prioritize. So everybody has their own pressures. You're right, juggling them all is interesting, but that's what's unique about CTAC is that we bring people. We used to say one of our principles, our founding principle when CTEC started in 1978, was tripartite, like three different groups academics, government, and business. And now we say it's multi stakeholder, but because isn't it, there's more groups than those three sectors. There's the public, there is the nonprofit sector, there is the 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 intergovernment organizations like UNEP, like ISO, that, that do a lot of work. So we try to juggle the priorities of all these groups.
0: That's interesting. I I, I agree. It's very nice to hear that it's broadening, although we have tripartite sort of baked into every document. I'm glad you mentioned the general public and what's your vision about holding the general public or reaching out and communicating and engaging the public more in activities and in science. Is that part of your I
1: will say that like in about maybe was it twenty seventeen or eighteen, so we had some workshops and they were definitely beyond tripartite and uh had social scientists in them. So they're not necessarily the public, but maybe they represent. And my vision is to to grow. Like I said, multi-stakeholder and multidisciplinary. That's where I think the solutions lie. In terms of CTAC, we have not been good at outreach to the public. We started uh, a few years ago with creating what we are referring to as fact sheets. They explain things in layman's terms. Some of our fact sheets, we call them technical issue papers. So they're a little bit more technical. So they're from one scientist to the other, one scientist to another scientist who's not in the same field. And then we also started developing uh, science briefs for the general public to educate them about a specific topic Let's say there's a policy coming up in regulations. the The regulators could read it. The non-scientists could read it and understand what is going on. We and again, like that, we started a lot of that in before the pandemic, and we we'll probably pick more more of that up. Um, we also hope to start some sort of engagement program and recruitment of undergraduate students in sciences that don't really know about our field just to explain what our field is to them because we don't do a lot of recruitment at CTAC.
0: Interesting. Those are some exciting initiatives. So what is the most interesting thing or what do you like the most about your job? Well, I think I touched upon that
1: earlier when I said that the most exciting thing for me is when I see that synergy, when when I reach out to a group that is doing work in a particular area and I say, would you be interested in um, presenting that to the CTEC audience or collaborating with cTac um, I find that highly exciting. For example, there was um The bridge building. Also, there was a a consortia of people who got together. They wanted to talk about, and this is a technical term, across species extrapolation, right? But they were definitely multi-stakeholder. They were academics, government employees, business people interested in this and interested in sustainability as well as some from the nonprofit sector, And they didn't know how to advance their work. And we said, hey, we will host you. We will give you a website. We will let you have webinars. We will host sessions. You can publish in our journals about your consortium and we will publicize about it. And we just did it. Really kicked that initiative off this week, so so that was exciting. Another exciting initiative is with the Association for Alternatives Assessment. They're collaborating with us and kind of having a symposium within our annual meetings to strengthen the bonds with CTAC.
0: Okay, for our listeners, first explain very briefly and simply what cross species extrapolation is.
1: No, I. I was hoping you wouldn't ask me um, to do that. <laughs> Cross pieces, extrapolation. Okay, so if we have data, t- t- toxicity data, right? So toxicity is the how a certain stressor, whether it's chemical, biological, or physical, impacts a biological being. It, the biological thing could be a cell it, or it could be an actual organism. And then extrapolating. If that impacts a mouse this way, how would it impact a deer or a human? That's how I understand yeah, it. <laughs> well
0: that's that's perfectly fine. I, I I think the the only thing I would add is it's more complicated than it sounds, and these groups are trying to really challenge the assumptions and see how to make that more realistic. As I understand it, is that yes, correct? Yes,
1: because because traditionally people just use uncertainty factors. They said if. If 10 milligrams of this chemical impacted a mouse like this, we will say, you know, multiply by a certain number based on the weight of the next species. And yeah, so it was very crude. So they're trying to refine those methods, but they're also trying to look at what is called new approach methods where you're not testing on species. You're testing on cells or specific proteins in the body and the impact on those markers. Yeah, so it's very complex.
0: Yeah, that's an exciting field. We just had a paper in the last issue of our journal on new approach methods, and it's very exciting to think that sometime we could kill less animals trying to protect the ecosystem. So what is the biggest challenge in your work?
1: And My current position
0: is trying to balance all these factors.
1: Yeah, there's a to drive collaboration like i alluded to earlier there's a lot of motivations if it's an organization they've got their bottom line to worry about but also the personalities have you know their drivers you know do they need to be the first author on the paper because it might be highly cited because that will give them a certain promotion that might not be stated but there's a lot of similar type influences and individuals. There's a lot of competition between individual scientists that you need to be aware of, even though they would work great together, but maybe there's been history or competition. So these are the hidden things that I would say are challenging.
0: Okay, interesting. So you've talked about a lot of really interesting things you're doing and want to do. If you could do anything you wanted in this position? What would be the thing that you would really love to be doing that you can't currently do to change the system or to change or advance the society?
1: So you're giving me a magic wand, Sabina. And I've had to... Yes, I am. (laughs) Um, You know, I think... so. Like I said, six months ago, I became executive director, and that did open up more doors than I had before as a science manager. So I feel like I did get that for a little bit of time, and and it's been quite exciting to do that. Yeah, I guess what I would love to see us do is do more collaborative work, more with other societies and other disciplines and other um, scientists and environmental professionals in general. If I had my choice and could remove all the barriers um, that exist, it was interesting to me just coming to see Tech because previously, in my position as a consultant, even you know I'd worked for years, I just didn't quite grasp why we as a society haven't come further. Like we have the UNEP, right, United Nations Environment Agency, so. Why ha- haven't we been able to put more regulations or just create more mechanisms to protect our environment? But after coming to CETEC and interacting with these groups, there's a lot of bureaucracy in a lot of them. And like I said, there's a lot of competing motivations. And it really illustrated to me that sometimes we create barriers
0: for ourselves for improving environmental quality badly. (laughs) I've also spent a lot of my career trying to figure out how to make science meaningful and impactful. And as you point out, it's important to understand the role of the science in informing societal decision making. And as you say, nurturing that cross and transdisciplinary Mm -hmm. collaboration in problems that aren't purely scientific.
1: I bet Sabina you learned a lot about that through your work that you've done as a consultant because I feel consultants typically see it from all aspects because sometimes consultants have to use the work of an academic to solve a problem for an industry client to meet a regulatory objective so they sort of see it from all perspectives so I'm just guessing that that's where you 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 got that but we need to do a better job um clarifying that to all sectors who are using the work because you know, we often hear from our academics, why is my work not u- usable, right? And that's, it's not being translated. <laughs> isn't, isn't that the term science translation? How can I make my work be more usable? And actually at CTAC, we've started with just environmental toxicity data. A few years ago, we put together criteria and say, if you want your environmental toxi- toxicity data to be used by regulators, here's like a checklist. Make sure you include this sort of information. And we've been trying to promote that more and more. And the academics who've picked that up, they were like, oh, well, that's really interesting. Like, I probably wouldn't have reported this data point in a scientific journal because it's not exciting. It's not interesting. But now I understand that I need to report it so that the regulator can fulfill their criteria when selecting data to be used for decision making. So... We're trying to do more of that, as in provide the academics or the people who are driving the research and coming up with the raw science information about what do the decision makers need to be able to make a decision, what data, what information. And I think that's the key.
0: Interesting. That's a really important and impactful initiative. And answer, yes, some as a consultant, but I was also a young government scientist that didn't understand why my data by the pound wasn't making a difference. So it's a journey for all of us, isn't it? So, what's the one thing that works well for you in how you think about problems that might work well for others in the context of making choices and understanding their impacts? Is there sort of a framing you use both in your work and maybe in your day to day life to deal with decision making and understanding complex issues?
1: Well, I always like to think of things as a cycle. You know, you plan. You execute, you assess, and then you see if you need to make any changes and tweak and then you do it all over again. This is for a repetitive program, for example. For decision making, I learned about this concept of I think sometimes it's referred to as an impact versus effort matrix that I really Mm -hmm. like. It's similar to the what people know as a SWOT analysis, which is strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and strength analysis. So the impact versus effort matrix kind of makes you bin your projects. Let's say if you're trying to make a decision, where, where am I going to put my funds in which project? So you would bin your projects in four buckets. The ones that have high impact for the society and come at a very low effort and low cost are like you know the low hanging fruit. So you would just do those, no question asked. The ones that are high impact but have a high cost, you definitely would do those too and put a lot of effort in them. However, the ones that have really low impact, so if they're low impact and low cost, you could say, "Eh, maybe I'll use them as a fill-in if I need to. If I have time, I'll turn my attention to them. And then maybe the ones that are like low impact and high cost, you just say, we need to cancel this and, and sunset that little project. So I've really liked that framework. I've seen it done to also prioritize your task list
0: um, based on, you know, what's the priority and how much effort it's going to take. That is an interesting framing. It's a bit like materiality, isn't it, that industry uses? And I can't remember what their four quadrants are, but it's similar. Yes. It has to do with relevance and impact or something like that. So this way where we often we agonize about unimportant decisions is what you're saying
1: right i think in the sustainability field they call it uh, materiality but yeah i I learned about it especially for nonprofit management right you always have to make a decision something's got to go something's going to stay what stays what goes where do you put your effort
0: same in in day-to-day life but we often don't think in such an organized manner so that might be very useful well, thanks very much for your time. It's a very interesting talk, chat. Congratulations on your position, and I look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you, Savina. That was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Thank you to the rest of the team, Neil McCoon and Anna Gunn. You can find more information about this and other episodes on our website, jointhedotspodcast.com. And we'd love to hear from you on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook.